Welcome to another episode featured on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, and other popular podcast channels. And now, your university professor, published author, and U.S. Army Airborne Ranger veteran, Dr. Aaron Bryant. After, you know, I applied for several jobs, I couldn't get it. Uh, one, t- one day, I went through a headhunter. And a headhunter is an individual where companies pay this individual mm-hmm. to evaluate your resume. And then this individual sets you up for various interviews. Mm-hmm. So that happened on a Friday. I had inter- I had like six interviews, but these were jobs that were, you know, uh, uh, um, a video company, uh, 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 a gate repair company. You know, these were menial jobs that you know, I was overqualified for. So the following Monday, I had an interview with the Department of Labor. And I had a- uh, That's uh, federal. Inter- now it's federal. Yeah, that's a federal. Department of Labor was federal, and it was with the Employee Benefit Security Administration mm-hmm. within the Department of Labor. They hired me on the spot as a GS9 Step 6, which is the pay grade. Yep, cool. So I, I worked for the Department of Labor for about five years, and um, uh, I got up to a GS11, and I couldn't get promoted anymore, so I, I, I applied for a job at the VA Medical Center. And I got accepted as a GS-12 as the my, as the um, administrative officer for mental health. And there, it kind of brought me back to my veterans because there I was dealing with, with veterans every day. Mm-hmm. I, I was the administrator, uh, hiring psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, and the administrative staff. So, I got involved with a lot of different things in the VA, and then I was appointed the Minority Veteran Program Coordinator, which was supposed to be 20% of my job. Mm-hmm. But what that entailed was to go out and do outreach and help educate the minority veterans about the VA and to get them enrolled in the VA. Mm-hmm. So with that, I did a lot of outreach and I started finding out about organizations, nonprofits, and how organizations work in silos. One organization does something, the other organization does something, and there's no cross feedback or communication between these two. And it's like that for a lot of different organizations. Yep, yep. So, so what I did, I was also part of the American Legion. And the American Legion had a building called the War Memorial Veterans Building. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I that building was, they raised, the American Legion helped raise funds to build that building. And as long as there's an American Legion post in San Francisco, that building belongs to the American Legion. Nice. So I ended up finding out more about it. And I ended up establishing an American Legion post called the Caesar E. Chavez Post 505, which gave me access to that building and, and the different rooms. And as the VA person, I ended up taking the, the Minority Veteran Program Coordinator stuff to the building and created the San Francisco Veterans Town Hall Collaborative, where I would invite 
federal, state, local, and community organizations all together under one roof. I'd brief them a little bit, and then I'd go around the room, and everybody would talk about what they did and what kind of program they ran. And at the end, it would be a networking session. So that created an environment where people could now start talking to each other. Right, right. And it built a, 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 a network of people that I have. And then I started thinking, hmm, why don't I look into starting a nonprofit? And then at that time, here in California, the governor signed a uh, proclamation that established the Interagency Council on Veterans. And which and governor was this? This was uh, uh, Jerry Brown. Okay. Governor right. Jerry Brown. And there was a two-day conference in Sacramento where they brought people from all over the state of California to decide, okay, what are the deliverables that our veterans in the state of California need? We had 1.9 million veterans in the state of California. And the four deliverables were healthcare, education, housing, and employment. And based upon my work, I was appointed the uh, chair of the healthcare working group. And, you know, we were trying to get all this done up in Sacramento and try to come up with these deliverables for 58 counties in the state of California. And it was like a daunting task. I mean, we couldn't do it. I mean, you know, I think the agency now is dissolved. But anyway, I took that information and I said, if I could bring it to San Francisco and, and develop something in San Francisco with these four deliverables, and then from there grow it out, uh, it would be more effective than to bring it from the top down. Mm -hmm. So that's when I established the um, One Vet, One Voice, the nonprofit 501c3. And I did that almost, uh, almost five years ago. And um, I've been doing that ever since, you know. Uh, I had a cafe uh, in San Francisco, Mama Art Cafe. And I was using that as a, as a platform to train veterans who wanted to be entrepreneurs. Uh, and I established um, uh, some training programs for them. And in that process, I when I was at the VA, I retired in, from the VA in 2014. And while I was at the VA, I was the work study supervisor. And uh, work study was a program that allows veterans to go to school and get paid by the VA. So I applied for that as my nonprofit and got accepted. So I run this work study program where they could come work for me on one vet, one voice, and the VA pays for them. So I still run that program. And um, one that one voice focuses on healthcare, education, housing, and employment. And under the education piece, um, again, when I was at the VA, um, somebody asked to, to show a film called The Langoria Affair. I did, and I got about 20 people that showed up. And next thing you know, I'm doing a film festival. <laughs> so I'm in the ninth year of the San Francisco Veterans Film Festival which helped bridge that gap between veterans and the community because of the films that we show 
on veterans' issues, suicide, PTSD, military sexual trauma, dealing with the VA transition. Uh, and we're in the tail end of that this, this week. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. today it's going on right now. And tomorrow, Saturday, will be the last day. And if you want to go, check it out. Go to sfveteransfilmfestival.org, sfveteransfilmfestival.org. Get your free ticket and check it out. So that's kind of like the story of where I'm at now and what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I, I, I try to help as many veterans as possible. Yeah, that's it's pretty impressive. Your path to get to where you are now, I'm gonna have a little insight on it, so I'm aware of the achievements you've accomplished. Um, you mentioned the War Vet Memorial Building. Is that what happened with that? What's the situation there? Um, at what point is it going to be available public? Talk a little bit about that. Um, the War Memorial Veterans Building, uh, back in 1932. Uh, for the World Expo in San Francisco, um, the city tried to build a whole arena of different buildings and this and that, and they didn't have enough funds to to build that building. So back in the day, you know, you had a lot more American Legion members and stuff that were pretty prominent in San Francisco. So they helped raise funds to build that building. And the smart thing about it was they put the building in a trust that allowed three organizations to have that building in perpetuity forever. One of them was the arts, one of them was the opera, and the other one was the American Legion. And as long as there's an American Legion post in the city and county of San Francisco, the American Legion has the rights to that building in perpetuity. Wow. So... I found out about that and I said, hmm, I need to be at the table. Yeah. That's when I established the Cesar E. Chavez post of the American Legion. And that got me to the table. So I have an office in San Francisco across the street from City Hall mm-hmm. where I run the Cesar Chavez post and one vet, one voice out of. And it's free of charge for me because I am the commander of the Cedar Chavez Post 505. You know, that, that's impressive. That's impressive. Especially in San Francisco, you know that real estate, man. I'm sure you got people trying to buy crazy. it from you all the time. Crazy, crazy <laughs> you know? Uh, there's five meeting rooms that allow us to have different sessions, and that's where I was doing the town hall. <laughs> and uh, I did the, the very first film festival in that building. And uh, when the building was getting renovated, and it's a city-owned building, so they pumped in millions of dollars to get it renovated to earthquake standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we tried to go back into the building and bring other organizations into the building, the city wouldn't allow us. So we ended up taking the city to court, and we won the lawsuit as the American Legion. Now that building is a one-stop shop for our veterans in the city and county of San Francisco. We have vets for tech, vets in tech there. We have wounded warriors. We have different organizations along with all the American Legion posts. And the idea is to have that building as a one-stop shop for our veterans, instead of them running around all over town, trying to find resources and so on and so forth. So So, let me me ask you a question because I know you said that the Legion, as long as the Legion's in existence now, 
I have been in touch with other uh, legions around California. And one of the things that I hear among all of them is that their members are aging out and they need young veterans to be a part of it, to get involved because they want to hand over the reins because they're aging out of it. Are you experiencing the same thing with the Cesar Chavez post? Yes, we have a lot of our members that are over 70. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to, you know, we've been kind of dark the last couple of months because of COVID. Right, right. But come next year, I want to start it up again and kind of kick off, do some events. But yes, and the American Legion, which is the largest veteran organization in the nation, Mm -hmm. realizes that there's a lot of the members that are dying off. Mm-hmm. So with the American Legion, they used to have standards. You had to be in certain wars, certain conflicts to be a member. So re- just last year, I believe, the American Legion did away with that. So now any veteran can join the American Legion. Hmm. Interesting. So they took, they took out away those requirements. And uh, not only that, uh, the American Legion is one of the oldest veteran organizations in the nation. But now what's happening is you have all these other organizations that are popping up with the techies and this and this, this and that, uh, Wounded Warriors, uh, Team Red, White and Blue, IVAV, uh, Iraqi Veterans uh, of America, uh, Student Veterans of America. So all the younger veterans are kind of gravitating towards these other organizations as opposed to the established VFW, American Legion, uh, DAV. So there's kind of like this this kind of conflict between, you know, the newer organizations and the older organizations. Yeah. You know? The yeah, older I, organizations, a lot of them are 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 um, are um, endorsed by Congress, like the American Legion. Mm-hmm. That's a, an organization that has been uh, endorsed. I forget the name of what it's called, but but the Congress recognizes the American Legion. And they have uh, um, lobbyists to lobby for veterans in Washington. So veterans out there, join an organization because when those lobbyists go to Congress and say, we got 100,000 members, those doors open. Those Congress people listen when they say that they're backed by thousands of members. So it's important to become a member, if you're a veteran, to join these organizations, whichever one you want. But they fight for our rights as veterans. 